it's going to be interesting to see if the NRA has that internal discussion. Are, are we standing up for the Second Amendment? Or are we getting into all these other issues that really aren't core to our mission? Stay tuned. That's just part of what's ahead in our bonus content following this week's edition of In Focus. Exploring the issues that matter most in Indiana. This is In I'm not Focus sure we'll ever see another Richard Luger. I sure pray we do. It is an honor for me to be serving in his seat. A truly great Hoosier who dedicated his life to making the world a better and safer place for generations to come. Indiana lawmakers remember a giant of the Senate, a statesman who served as mayor of Indianapolis and as a six-term U.S. senator. Good morning. Last weekend, we learned that Richard Luger had passed away at the age of 87, along with Birch Bayh, one of two former senators we've lost in recent weeks, both statesmen known for reaching across the aisle and bringing people together. Our Russ McQuaid has more. There's a bust of Richard Luger in the lobby of the city county building, the same building where the same man forever changed the way Indianapolis is governed. After he was elected mayor in 1967, Luger eventually created Unigov, a unified city and county government. The father of modern Indianapolis, there's no doubt, would be Richard Luger. His vision, his drive, his ambition fundamentally reshaped the city. Before that, Luger successfully ran for the Indianapolis Board of School Commissioners in 1964. He wanted to use federal money to feed kids breakfast and lunch. Dick Luger was, uh, was a passionate and a leader on issues related to people who were sad, lonely, hungry, vulnerable, at risk. During a wreath-laying ceremony on the appropriately named Richard G. Luger Plaza, the man who now sits in Mayor Luger's former office said he tries to carry on in the legend's tradition. Senator Luger believed that it was only by uniting to solve tough issues. Divided perhaps in thought, but united in a common purpose for a common effort. It was that spirit of uniting for the common good that led then-Mayor Luger to build Market Square Arena. It kept the Indiana Pacers in Indianapolis and arguably made this a big league city. On a morning, uh, I remember the conversation. He, We made the decision, he made the decision to build Market Square Arena. Uh, and we did it spanning Market Street. It was uh, an affirmation of the importance of Major League Sports, but also a facility of, of great entertainment, a great for conventions, for community gatherings. 50 years later, to see how Indy looks now. Without Richard Luger, I don't think you would have had those first key steps. Richard Luger's imprint is still on the city of Indianapolis. And in the U.S. Senate, Luger served next to Birch Bayh, who was also remembered this week at the State House just days after Luger's passing. The loss of these two iconic Indiana senators felt deeply on both sides of the aisle. A day of remembrance at the State House as hundreds gather to remember the life and legacy of former Indiana Senator Birch Bayh. If ever there is a Mount Rushmore of Indiana, of Indiana political figures, surely and certainly Birch Bayh would be on it. 
Hoosiers on both sides of the aisle remembered the former senator for his work in Washington, where he wrote two amendments to the Constitution and was instrumental in the passage of Title IX. But it was the way he worked across the aisle that many remember most, including his son, former Senator Evan Bayh, who, like his dad, served in the Senate with another Hoosier statesman who just passed away, Richard Lugar. It's not very often you can really feel the pages of history turning and you can see the end of an era. But in the passing of my father and the passing of Richard Luger, that is in fact what we see. What they did was set the example for the rest of us who have served as senators in our state as to how to do the job, to stand up for our country. I don't know if at the time Indiana realized how incredibly fortunate it was to have a man like that representing it. People who always understood that the public interest uh, was their mutual assignment. As you noted, we don't always see that same tone these days in, in Washington. Um, I, for one, hope and believe that it will come back, that today's uh, uh, divisiveness is a temporary, not a long-term phenomenon. Well, I'm very proud of my father and uh, the legacy that he, uh, he fashioned with the help of many, many other people. And so as his son, it made me, made me proud. But it also reminded me of the time when people worked together to get things done. And perhaps that example can inspire um, our current generation of leaders to do, to do the same. Now, as you saw, former Indiana First Lady Susan By there, as well as she continues her fight with brain cancer. Meantime, this week from Washington, I spoke with current Indiana Senator Todd Young about this week's headlines and about the life and legacy of our late great senators. What are your thoughts on, on their legacies and, and whether we can return to, to that kind of Washington one day? Well, Indiana has lost two giants uh, in recent months uh, between Birch Bayh and Dick Luger. Uh, I'm proud to hail from a state that has produced such fine leaders at, at the national level, uh, even globally recognized for their leadership. I, of course, had an opportunity to work with and for Dick Luger for a period of time. I considered him my mentor. Uh, he literally helped save the world at a time when nuclear disarmament and uh, nuclear proliferation were top issues here uh, in Washington and really around the world. And um, he was just a, a fine human being, as was Birch Bayh, by all accounts, a modern-day founding father. Their model of leadership, of solution-oriented leadership, is something that we should return to here in Washington, D.C., and uh, all of us should resolve to... Uh, you know, aspire to that uh, level of leadership. They set a very high bar, a very high bar. I, I know since you were at that service on Wednesday, you did not get a chance to watch all of the hearing involving uh, Attorney General William Barr. A lot of talk about that this week in Washington, including some Democrats uh, calling for his resignation, saying he's uh, acting on behalf of the president and the way he's handled the Mueller report and its release. Do, do you have any concerns about what we've seen over the last few days? Uh, you're correct. I did not have an opportunity to uh, watch the proceedings of the hearing. Uh, I know that there were some fireworks, as there often are, between Congress and the administration, especially uh, when uh, you have members uh, of one party uh, uh, grilling the attorney general from another party. Uh, but I'll say this. Uh, the report is already out. People can review it for themselves. Uh, the, the conclusions are pretty clear uh, that there was no collusion, as had been alleged and I, I, I guess suspected by a number of members of the media and um, uh, a number of, of my fellow colleagues. 
And uh, Hoosiers really want us to move on to other issues uh, that impact their daily lives. I am intently focused on that. At the same time, I think we should acknowledge that Russia did interfere in our elections, which was the genesis of this entire report. So our select committee on intelligence right here in the U.S. Senate should continue to carry out their investigation. And I'll be following that incredibly closely and I'll be speaking up as appropriate. Okay, Senator Todd Young speaking with us this week. Up next, what some of the 2020 presidential candidates are saying about William Barr and what the polls are saying about them. And at the State House, the governor has signed the budget bill, but what about the legislation dealing with casinos and sports gambling? Hear what he told me on that topic straight ahead. All right, let's bring in our panel right now. Adam Wren is a contributing editor for Politico and Indianapolis Monthly. Jennifer Wagner, the former communications director for the Indiana Democrats. Mike Murphy, former GOP lawmaker and chairman for the Marion County Republicans. And Tim Swearens, longtime political columnist here in Indianapolis. Let's start by kind of juxtaposing the, the legacies of, of Richard Lugar and Birch Bayh with what we saw uh, in Washington this week with some very contentious, very uh, controversial circumstances surrounding the attorney general and, and his testimony in Congress. It's an incredible legacy for Birch Bayh and Richard Lugar, and it, the, the contrast between politics then and politics today couldn't be sharper. Um, L Richard Lugar, in particular, just always was mild manner. He 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 believed what he believed. He was firm in his convictions, but he always reached across the aisle. He was always willing to talk, and unfortunately, we don't see that often today. Last time I, I interviewed him in 2016, he said he wasn't going to decide between Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton didn't want to take a stance in the 2016 election. Well, and that's true with a lot of what I would call regular Republicans. Um, you know, I always, I always quote Mitch Daniels, who was a, a, really a, a disciple of Dick Lugar's. Mm. And, you know, he has said repeatedly since 2016, I feel homeless in my own party. And I think that's the way a lot of Republicans feel. But the, the amazing thing is Dick Lugar was helpful to everyone, no matter what age you were. When I was young coming up, you know, he would have lunch with me if I asked. and. You know, he, he was just an amazing guy, and it, obviously uh, I didn't have as much exposure to Birch Bayh, but same kind of classiness, I'd throw Lee Hamilton in there, and a few others, John Mutz, yes. and a few others as well. Lee Hamilton, who was at uh, Birch Bayh's service this Wednesday, as a lot of big names were. What are, what are your thoughts on the passing of these two, I mean, these two legends? I mean, tremendous loss for our state, mm -hmm. um, and it is easy to say, oh, they don't make them like that anymore, and I think that is true to a certain extent, but I was out in Washington this week, and Washington itself, you know, the, the, the humdrum of all of the controversies that happened absolutely gripped the nation, but Washington itself keeps functioning. And I think there are people out there, like Dick Luger, like Birch Bayh, who are doing those things, like you're saying, Mike, like mentoring young folks and making sure that their legacy continues. We just don't hear about it as often because everything else is more salacious. Yeah, certainly that, uh, that speech that you saw earlier from Evan Bayh, calling it the end of an era with Luger and Birch Bayh's passing, happened at the same time as those controversial uh, hearings with the Attorney General in Congress this week. Yeah, what strikes me is that uh, you saw such an outpouring of, uh, of, of gratefulness and support for these two lawmakers, um, but now you have to wonder, um, were they to run today in 2019 in Indiana, could either of them even get elected statewide? I mean, are they um, a, a relic of a past uh, where you know bipartisanship is is a credit and not something that counts against you? It's a great question. Uh, I, I think it's great. You make a great point there, Adam. I don't think either one of them could get elected today in Indiana. How how would a senator Richard Luger Tim approach 
what we're seeing in the Senate right right now with uh, all of the controversy over the, the Attorney General and the Mueller probe? Well, I think he would step back and look at, at what's good for the country, uh, not what's good for the party, what's not not what's particularly good for the president, the current president. Um, he w he was a true statesman, and I think he would bring those qualities to bear on, on all the controversies we're seeing today. All right. So, meantime, uh, on the campaign trail, the 2020 campaign trail this week, you saw former Vice President Joe Biden among the Democratic candidates saying he thinks William Barr should step down from his post as Attorney General. Biden held his first campaign rally this past week in Pittsburgh. So far in the early polling numbers for Biden, well, so far so good this week. Some good news in the polls for the former VP. A new CNN poll found Biden at 39% among Democrats and left-leaning independents. That's up 11 points from last month. It also puts Biden more than 20 points ahead of his closest competitor, Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren in third, with South Bend Mayor Pete Buttigieg in fourth. But also 64% of voters say they may still change their mind. So we'll see what all of that means for the former vice president. Meantime, speaking of Pete Buttigieg, he had a busy week releasing 10 years of tax returns and meeting with a lot of big names in politics and entertainment, including Al Sharpton, Hillary Clinton, even Oprah, according to some reports. Uh, although she did not uh, pronounce his name very successfully, we should say. Uh, Buttigieg also on the cover of Time magazine this week pictured uh, with his husband. The article calls his campaign unlikely, untested, and unprecedented. The cover even drawing some reaction from Anthony Scaramucci, of all people, the mooch, who said uh, Mayor Pete has already won in his view for what he's done for the LGBT community. We showed you some of those uh, polling numbers. There are also new head-to-head -head numbers from CNN, some of the hypothetical head-to-head -head matchups, which show Mayor Pete barely ahead of President Trump in this CNN poll, 47-44, a three-point lead. Kamala Harris led Trump by four, Biden and Sanders beating Trump by six. Beto O'Rourke had a 10-point edge in this poll over the president, the president uh, only beating out Elizabeth Warren in those head-to-head matchups of the ones that they pulled. Uh, thoughts on the 2020 campaign, guys, this week and everything that we've seen here the past few days? Well, today, uh, Buttigieg is in South Carolina. He's trying to really uh, shore up his support among African Americans. You know, these polls are impressive for the for the mayor of the fourth largest city of South Bend. However, um, in a morning consult poll this past week, he was only at 2% with African American voters, the lowest of, of almost any 2020 candidates. And in fact, in a recent poll, Biden was at 50% among, among African Americans. That seems to be uh, a, a crucial point here for the, the South Bend mayor. It absolutely is, but it's true for I mean, all, almost all of the candidates that there is work to be done in the African-American community. Um, there are arguments to be made that that is in part why the 2016 election went the way that it did. It's really early. It's going to be a really big field. I think the number of people who say they're willing to change their mind at this point probably isn't going to change until the field is set. We've seen some debates and some folks you know, fall off. But it's been a great week for Pete. What does the White House see looking at these, uh, some of these numbers? some of these head-to-head -head matchups. Well, I, th I think the White House has probably complete confidence because if you match up the economic numbers, they are, they are virtually unimpeachable and undefeatable good at job this point. Some numbers out on Absolutely. Friday. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And some you know, the polls right now are a little bit silly. I mean, you have, to, you have to take them, you have to watch them, you have to comment on them. But Beto is going to fade like uh, Notre Dame in a national We're championship game. Seen him up that high, but he's not ahead of the Democratic in the primary among Democratic voters. Yeah, he's fading already. I think that hurts and you to make that Notre Dame zig. Well, I know I'm, you're I'm, big, real, I'm pretty pragmatic about everything fan. I do, including Notre Dame football. <laughs> but I think there's going to be so many changes. Uh, Tim, uh, what, what do you see uh, in these polls? You did see the president going after 
Joe Biden quite a bit this week on Twitter. Well, I think Mike is absolutely right. It, you know, if the preseason really mattered, my Cubs would win the World Series every year, but that doesn't happen. And we're so far out from yeah. even the first primary that the polls don't mean a lot. At the same time, I think what Buttigieg has been able to accomplish so far is remarkable. As, as Adam said, he is the mayor of the fourth largest city in Indiana, and he's in the top five in the, in the primary at this point. All right, meantime, at the State House this past week, Governor Eric Holcomb signed the, two, the new two-year state budget into law. He still has yet to sign a handful of key bills, including the bill legalizing sports gambling, which has been heavily scrutinized in recent weeks. Here's what he told me about the bill this past week. You know, I want to make sure that the state of Indiana is the winner. And for me to be sure of that, I have to, I have to read the bill word for word. And I'm not there yet. As we said, the issue has been heavily scrutinized with more reports out this week about the many ties lawmakers have had with the casino industry on a topic, Mike, that is often in the headlines. You said it a few weeks ago that this would probably be a big headline maker toward the end of the session. You expect the governor to sign this bill. When I it's expect I would be done, stunned right? if he didn't say it. There's too much money involved. And when there's that much money involved, you have to sign the bill and hold your nose and go to church on Sunday, basically. Um, I think that the, you know, uh, Rod Radcliffe Spectacle Corporation was the clear big winner in this session. They got everything they wanted out of that, out of the session. And uh, I would, again, be surprised, stunned if the governor doesn't sign the bill. Controversy over some of the connections there, the, the various ways Spectacle communicated with lawmakers? Yeah, I mean, this is, it's, it's a heavy, heavily regulated industry, but it's also a heavily lucrative industry. You, you said this before, Mike. Is there a more powerful lobby at the Statehouse? Probably yeah. not. Yeah. And so I would also be surprised if the governor doesn't sign this bill, but I think it does draw attention to the fact that we should probably have more state house reporters and not fewer to be looking at these potential conflicts. All right, we'll have to leave it there. We'll talk more about it on our podcast. Up next, we take a closer look at what's been a contentious mayoral primary in Carmel as we talk with the man who's hoping to unseat Mayor Jim Brainerd next. Welcome back. Voters head to the polls Tuesday in Carmel for the mayoral primary. It's been a contentious race between Mayor Jim Brainerd and his challenger, Fred Glynn, who accused the mayor's campaign of trying to bribe him to drop out of the race. The city's clerk treasurer has also accused the mayor of improper behavior. Mayor Brainerd has denied the allegations. He would not do an interview with us to discuss the controversy. We are joined today by the mayor's opponent, Hamilton County Councilor Fred Glenn. Thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me, Dan. Appreciate the, it. The mayor has said these accusations are unfair or untrue in a statement. The campaign called all of this, quote, political maneuvering to conceal the fact that uh, the mayor's opponent does not have any plan uh, or direction for the future of the city. What's your response to that? Uh, you know, that, that's a typical response from a 24-year career politician that's desperate to hang on to power. That's what we're seeing in Carmel right now. If you look at what we put out there, we everything that's happened is stuff that he's done. We're not putting anything out there. He came, he had somebody come to us that offered us a certain amount of money to drop out. And then when that didn't work out, that person went to them and was getting paid $10,000 a month for four months, total of $40,000. And that person still works for them. They still have that person on the payroll. They've never gotten rid of them. They haven't denied that. The thing with Mrs. Pauly, if you look at what's going on with her, uh, you know, we don't know. It's a he said, she said thing right now. That's what we're seeing play out, play out right now. But either way, when she said no, he didn't take no for an answer. He just kept pushing and pushing. And that's the problem. And as soon as he realized he wasn't going to get his way, that's when things got really bad for her. This is a question of his leadership. It just shows another, another reason why Carmel voters need a new leadership. Do you regret how nasty this race has become? They've tried to hit back with some things um, as well. Do, do you regret the tone of this race? You know, I, I will say that it'd be nice if we could have stick to the issues, but they came out firing right away with, with you know, this, this guy that's working for, for them right now, 
that worked for me, they had him in my campaign spying on me for two weeks before he left. So this is how it started right away. I would like to stick to the issues and we could talk about the issues, but you know, this, this is stuff that they brought on. The mayor said Carmel is one of the most successful suburbs in the country. He's touting the growth in Carmel. Why do you think it's time for a change and what would you do differently? Well, you know, I think it's time for a change. You know, everybody, you know, there's only so long that people are gonna stay in office and they're working for the people. After 24 years, after all this time, you start serving yourself, I could say that. Carmel's a great community, but we can do better. And you look at all the suburbs, they're all growing outside of Indianapolis. You go out to Plainfield, right now Brownsburg's got a big growth spurt going on. Fishers is starting to grow. So what you're having is people that are, that are leaving Indianapolis or that are moving here for jobs that, that go out to the suburbs instead of, of living in the city. And they usually do it for the schools. That's the first thing. But we, what we can do better is we can stop using debt to finance growth. To, to, to move businesses. We can concentrate on all of Carmel instead of putting all of our money downtown. If you look at a map, Carmel's debt map, all of it's concentrated on that little area downtown. Is Jim Brainerd beatable in Carmel? Oh, he's very beatable in Carmel. Our numbers are not looking good for him. If Jim Brainerd wasn't beatable in Carmel, if he was ahead and he was comfortable with the polling that he's doing, he wouldn't be putting out nasty hit pieces on me all over the place. This is the first time that he's, since he's been challenged in the 24 years that he's been there, that he's ever started going after an opponent like this, putting out these nasty hit pieces and doing the bribes and doing all the stuff that he's doing. He's doing this because he knows that I've put out the issues and my, my message is starting to resonate with voters and he knows that voters are ready for a change. So yeah, it's very winnable and he knows it's winnable he, or he wouldn't be doing this. So. Fred Glenn, thank you so thank much you. for being with us. Thank we you. appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you so much. Uh, let's look at some of the other local cities holding mayoral primaries next week. Among them, Indianapolis, Lawrence, and Fishers. Martinsville will elect a, a new mayor this year. So will the city of Noblesville, where three candidates in the Republican primary appeared on stage together this past week to answer questions from some third grade students there in Noblesville. They'll be holding a, a mock election on Tuesday. All right, stick around. We'll be back with this week's winners and losers right after this. All right, let's wrap it up with this week's winners and losers. Tim, what do you uh, My winner is Richard Luger and the incredible legacy he left the city and state and the nation. The loser are the two yahoos who tried to trump up this, uh, trump up this fake uh, controversy with Pete Buttigieg. Uh, no room for that in politics. Mike. Two winners. First, uh, Rod Radcliffe and Spectacle Corporation. They got everything they wanted out of the legislative session. And then the other one has to be the Pacers. $800 million in taxpayers' money over 25 years. They're dancing from one end of the court to the other. Jen. So uh, we all lost two great statesmen, uh, Birch Bayh and Richard Luger. And uh, mine is not so much a winner as a PSA, but remember to go vote on Tuesday in the primaries. In the old primaries, Tuesday. Adam. Uh, two winners, Pete Buttigieg. He's had an amazing week um, in the national media and in the polls. And also Ursul Ozdemir, who kind of got his white whale in a stadium deal for the Indy 11. All right, we'll leave it there. Thank you all for being with us this week. Thank you for joining us. We'll see you again next Sunday in Focus. All right, let's talk a little bit more with our panel now. We've been talking, actually, in between the show and the podcast. Uh, would have been a great podcast, as a matter of fact. Uh, the discussion in the last few minutes, we'll try to duplicate some of it, perhaps. Uh, Tim Swearens, Mike Murphy, Jennifer Wagner, Adam Wren uh, with us. Uh, a lot in the news, a lot we didn't get to uh, this past week. Obviously, um, we, we just saw the NRA here in Indianapolis last week. There were a lot of, uh, a lot of fireworks there in terms of NRA leadership and the, the vote that was taken. Uh, Oliver North uh, no longer uh, a part of the NRA. All of that happened right here in Indy. Adam, you kind of had a, a front row 
seat for a lot of that covering it last weekend. Yeah, it was a weird, fascinating uh, weekend to, to be um, in the convention center and cover this. You know, to be in the room when Wayne LaPierre uh, made his speech, you could, you could tell among rank and file members that he still has a lot of support in that organization. Um, and Oliver North trying to, trying to kind of expose what he said was, you know, some, some misappropriation, some spending on a, on a $200,000 wardrobe expense over a period of years. Um, you know, th that organization is one that's in flux right now. The New York Attorney General is now investigating them. There's been a notice that, that they need to preserve documents. And so, you know, we're really going to see um, a lot more around this story in the coming weeks and months, and their finances are, are going to end up, um, you know, exposed. And obviously, an event like that is, is kind of like a political nexus anyway, right? On a, a very controversial issue with guns, you have the president and the vice president here, a lot of other political issues that are sort of intertwined when, when the NRA comes to town. Absolutely, but I guess because I wasn't there and I didn't get to, to be a part of it, but I did get to experience it because my boyfriend and his dad went. What's fascinating to me is they went because they love guns, right? They went and they explored for two days straight all the 800 booths and came back with all kinds of stuff that I don't even understand because I myself am not a gun lover. Um, but they're so separated from the political stuff. They didn't go on Friday. They didn't care to be part of that. And I think there's a lot of people out there who are NRA members solely because they support the Second Amendment and they love firearms that don't care about the rest of this controversy. Yeah. On and the macro level, that's probably like politics in America well, in general true. right yeah. now, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, a lot of the stuff that we talk about every week is that, yeah. you know, really yeah. filtering down to, to people. And I think Jennifer level. makes a really good point. That's really the juncture that the, that the NRA find themselves at right now. Um, their law firm, or their creative firm, Ackerman McQueen, is essentially, they've shaped the brand. They have Dana Lesh as sort of the NRA TV figurehead. Um, you know, they're probably not going to be doing business with them in the future, in the, in the next couple of weeks, the next couple of months. And so they have to really decide, are we here to represent the Second Amendment, um, or are we here to represent sort of this, you know, culture war that's happening? Right, and, and NRA yeah. TV has yeah. dipped into yeah. those culture That's wars. right, yeah. and if, if you were in the hall, if you were at Lucas Oil State, on Friday um, last last week, as you heard uh, President Trump and Pence, um, even you know Senator Todd Young, Senator Mike Braun talk. Really, it felt more like a kickoff to the 2020 election sure. than it did an actual event around. Uh, I, I, the I think Amendment. the NRA any year before a presidential yeah. uh, election. But there, you know, there are result. there are conservative Democrats who do like guns, mm -hmm. and not a John single. Gregg. Not a single conservative Grant Democrat was invited to speak there that I know of. Again, I was not in the room, but I'm a lifetime NRA member, and I am disappointed to see the direction the NRA has gone because now they're all about the border wall, mm -hmm. yeah. and and that will impact the finan not only the financial investigation, but you know if you get away from your not-for-profit mission, you can lose your not-for-profit yeah, status. Right. And to see the whole controversy between the NRA and and Ackerman McQueen, the the ad agency. It's, it's really sad. Angus McQueen was the PR guy for the original um, Apollo and Gemini uh, mm. programs. A brilliant oh, really? ad wow. guy. <laughs> and now his integrity is being called in, too. Your thoughts the on the NRA? It, it it's is not unlike what's happening in the evangelical church. Sure. Uh, That's a good point. Where there's a lot of discussion about are, are we evangelicals, are we Christians, or are we Republicans and conservatives? And sometimes those lines get very blurred. Uh, there's a lot of discussion about you know standing up for what you really believe in, and if the Republican Party is wrong, you call them on it, regardless of the political fallout. It's going to be interesting to see if the NRA has that internal discussion. Are, are we standing up for the Second Amendment, or are we getting into all these other issues that really aren't core to our mission? 
Gun violence, always a big topic in Indianapolis. Mike, you mentioned during the commercial break, we didn't really have any incidents no. in the NRA. There was a little bit of pushing and shoving at one point between some protesters and some NRA members. But uh, then we had a, a pretty noteworthy incident in the news this week involving gun yeah. violence and two judges who were shot. Really, really sad. Um, obviously, we don't know the details. We, we keep hearing bits and pieces, and unfortunately, IMPD you know, came out with a story, has retracted the story, and gone forward and backwards several times. So, you know, but you know, the good thing is the truth always comes out maybe weeks, maybe months away, but we will find out what those judges were doing, where they were, and what caused them to be, to be shot at 3.20 in the morning, uh, whether it's White Castle or the Red Garter parking lot. Uh, we really don't know yet. At, at a judicial conference at a judicial here conference. Uh, days, after the, uh, days after the NRA. Uh, gun violence uh, certainly stands to be a big issue here in 2019 in Indianapolis in, in the race for mayor. As we look ahead to this primary Tuesday night, everyone's expecting Joe Hogsett, Jim Merritt uh, uh, to win their primaries, obviously, and, and that will essentially be the kickoff to the fall campaign. Yeah, and we had, you know, this, let's see, last weekend, in addition to the uh, two judges, there were three other shootings. Yeah. I mean, it, it is definitely becoming more a part of the narrative. Um, I live downtown and I get my, I have a ring doorbell and probably uh, once or twice a day, you know. Those are pretty neat, by the way. They're very cool. Yeah. I highly recommend them because every, although every time a car goes by, if it's really far away, I still get it. it right, right. Turns right. On, as but, seen on TV. Right? Uh, <laughs> yes, as seen on TV, um, as recommended by Sandy Wagner, my mom, so. To, to me, the crime in Indianapolis was even more alarming than the judge being shot was was a mother driving down the street yeah stopped uh, someone threw by, a log in front a, of her a car, in front of the car. yeah uh, they pointed a gun at her she refused to turn over and then they pointed a gun at her child and that's when she child. turned over her yeah. cash and, and and even sadder is this was a recent immigrant uh, from Honduras right. who um, came to the United States to escape the violence in her home country it's, it was five five shootings in one night I mean that cannot continue I don't care how strong of a candidate, or uh, Joe Hogsett is, he cannot stand up under that onslaught of bad news and, and continue to, to uh, be viable. How does the Hogsett campaign um, get ready for a, a summer at the time of year when we often hear about, a, about more crime in the city? You know, if you talk to the Hogsett campaign officials, they say that their internal polling shows that uh, people are people think that Hogsett is doing what he needs to do, um, and that you know crime it has underlying factors. Um, you know, when Troy Riggs was the public safety director, he talked a lot about the importance of of fighting these underlying factors: poverty, uh, systemic um, joblessness, issues like that. And they essentially say, look, the mayor is is trying to address those issues and he, he really can't turn around the ship overnight. Um, Republicans, on the other hand, I, I look for someone like State Senator Jim Merritt, who's challenging Hogsett, I look for him to kind of shift his campaign strategy away from talking about a seasonal issues like potholes and really focusing in on gun violence as the summer months come. What else are you looking uh, ahead to here Tuesday night in the primaries, the mayoral races? Uh, what do you have your eyes on here? Well, not much in Marion County, right. but uh, all eyes on the north. Yeah, um, Hamilton County with Carmel. Carmel. Obviously, been a lot of contentious primary. It's, it's been, it's been interesting. New mayor. Yeah. yeah. And I will say this too, and along with that point, um, something to watch on Tuesday is how South Bend Mayor Pete Buttigieg's right. chosen candidate yeah. fares in the mayoral election there. Um, uh, Mueller is, is running for office there. Um, that's right. Someone yeah, named Mueller that's is right. running in yeah, South Bend yeah. for mayor. Um, and I think, I think, you know, that'll get some national attention in terms of coverage. You know, it, it's sort of 
of a referendum. Um, th this candidate that Pete Buttigieg endorsed is one of his high school classmates, and I think it's a referendum on his popularity um, in South Bend. So we'll kind of get an interesting window. The council president also running there. That's I'd right. vote for anybody to graduate from St. Joe High School. In South Bend. <laughs> I don't go. care. Yeah. It doesn't matter to me. But you know, go back to the Carmel race. The, the you know, Brainerd has done some good things over the years. But he creates all of his own problems every single time, whether it's the alleged drunk driving, whether it's you know, taking the city into an incredible amount of debt, whether it's this latest thing with his woman. It's all self-inflicted, self and it just amazes me. He's the longest-serving mayor, I think, in Indiana history at this point. Mm -hmm. um, there's some question about that, but his staff, they've looked into it, and, and historically he seems to be the longest-running mayor. He's I think, I think not to... Not to yeah jump on you here, but I think Mayor David Graham of Scottsburg is in his eighth term. Oh, okay. Wow. Um, wow. Wow, Mike. It's, it's like That's a super impressive. Yeah. yeah, I think wow. he's in his eighth okay. term. Yeah. Okay. We'll see what happens on Tuesday night. I do remember in the 2015 primary, we thought it was going to be close, and it, it, and wasn't. it wasn't. Brandon yeah. won easily. He survived some uh, of challenges We'll, we'll see what actually yeah. happens, but uh, I, you know, I, I, I don't know that Brainerd's in serious trouble. Adam, you live in Carmel. Yeah. Are people talking yeah. about this race um, very much? Or you know, not really. The um, farmers market opening That's up right. They're talking about the farmers market. They're talking about you know the the latest um, you know three million dollar roundabout that's been installed yeah. or something like that um, it, it doesn't sound like from people I talk with that, that um, Brainerd is in any, any real trouble here despite the seriousness of the allegations against this campaign um, but he is someone who really has had a vision for the city and has implemented it over a long period of time and I think in a lot of ways um, you know, he will be weakened um, if he does win re-election after, after this, uh, given the political criticism. Uh, I was in Carmel three nights ago for dinner, and everybody I heard was talking about when is the pool going to open. That's right. I mean, yeah. you know, yeah. big things. Yeah. I would say we, you know, we, we, during, the, during the show, we talked a lot about Richard Luger and his yeah. incredible legacy. Uh, I would say, you know, that toward the end of his political career, it was starting to become obvious that he was near the end of his political yeah, career. Right. Hmm. He, he had lost a step, uh, to use a hmm. sports phrase. Um, Jim Brainerd, I don't know if he's lost a step yet, but I think he really needs to evaluate after Tuesday, is this the last time? Because you, you don't want to go out uh, as a loser. You don't, wanna, you don't want to leave that memory. Sure. Uh, what happens is you, you start to lose personal energy you start to lose um, uh, items to be working on, right? Issues to work on. And the third thing is, by the time you've been in as long as Brainerd, you're on your, you're not on your C team, you're on your D or your E team, because your A team retired 20 years ago, right? And the talents, you can only have, there's only so much talent, and that's why parties, you know, uh, exchanging power once in a while is not a bad thing. Mayor Brainerd, by the way, someone who was uh, pursuing a run for Congress just a few years ago yep. when it looked as if Susan Brooks uh, was yeah. pursuing a run for governor when yeah. Mike Pence mm -hmm. got named yeah. the ticket. Uh, yeah. his, uh, Brainerd's opponent, uh, Fred Glynn, we, we heard him on the show, his, uh, he, he and his team say they're they're confident. We'll see what happens on Tuesday. Yeah, it's it's. I will say this: Carmel is an amazing place to live. It's really it's it's a walkable city. It, it it appears to be getting better. You know, the redevelopment commission does have a significant amount of debt, and I think that's going to be an issue that candidates uh, will continue to talk about um, in, in the coming years, regardless of what happens on Tuesday. Anything else we're looking at here Tuesday? Yeah, I, I'd like to drop back on Indianapolis for yeah. for just a minute because uh, we were talking about the gun violence, the crime in the city, and. And regardless of 
you know, who's going to win in November. I think the city needs a really serious debate about its future and about the level of violence that we're seeing year after year after year. And it really isn't about who the mayor is uh, come November. It really is about what kind of a city are we going to have and what do we want to be? Um, because it's not good now and we shouldn't accept what, what we have. And everyone's going to move to Carmel, and then what will we have? You know, you guys right. have your gold gilded streets up you know, there, the, and we the, don't have anything to offer. We've got potholes. There used to be a, a leadership group; it still exists, but it's very weak now. The Greater Indianapolis Progress Committee, mm -hmm. which was yeah, actually GIPC. formed by Mayor Barton before Mayor Luger, mm -hmm. but every almost every mayor has used that very effectively to take on whether it's you know racial issues or economic issues or education issues. And for some reason, this mayor has not used Gypsy effectively as a convening, a way to convene ideas and power and money. And I don't know why he hasn't done that, but it's a, a great um, missed opportunity. You know, to tie these two kind of strands together, um, you have the, the NRA convention and the future of the NRA and then gun violence in Indianapolis. You know, I think at some point, any fair-minded person is going to have to start to say, you know, is there something around firearms that we can do to make the city safer? It's a, it's a systemic issue and really every city in America um, of significance. And so, um, you know, w w what's the next step on that? W what can happen? And how is Indianapolis different than other cities, um, you know, when it comes to some of these underlying issues like poverty? What are we going to do to sort of address those questions? That's something that I'll be, I'll be watching in the coming right. months. A lot of big issues uh, that we'll be looking at here in the primaries and in the weeks to follow uh, in this uh, municipal election year. Thank you all for being here. Adam Wren, Jennifer Wagner, Mike Murphy, and Tim Swearens. Great to see you all. We'll see you again next Sunday in Focus.